Why don't you help me welcome our online Destiny family as we say, so glad you're joining with us online. All of us in the building just want to say we are family together. And um, we want to just press into what the Lord desires to reveal out of this great book, the book of Nehemiah. Last week we talked just about context and kind of the foundation upon which the book is built. Um, Nehemiah and Ezra work hand in hand. Ezra is priestly and speaks of the spiritual dynamic of the restoration of the temple, while Nehemiah is practical, um, a government worker, if you will, a cupbearer to the king. And uh, he's not a priest, he's not a prophet. He's just a normal, everyday person with a job like most of us. Uh, you understand, most Christians, 99% of Christians, will never stand on platforms and preach sermons. But we will stand in circles of influence and declare God's Word. By the way we live, by the way we love, by the way we serve, by the way we give. And Nehemiah speaks so much to this. I believe the rebuilding of the walls that we're looking at in the book of Nehemiah is very aligning to what God is doing in this hour of the church. He's rebuilding some things that have become ruined. And we're going to look at that chapter by chapter. If you're reading two chapters a day, then you're reading through the book every week. And um, I think we're going to do a chapter a week. I don't have it all planned out, but I think that's the case. If you're reading it, you know, like we're about to get to chapter three, where it's just a whole bunch of names and people doing work. Um, and so it'll be fun preaching that chapter, I bet you. Um, but, you know, what I do know is all Scripture is profitable. And so many times we look at pieces of Scripture like that and then we just pay little to no regard to something that really is meaningful and has an impact. But we just have to explore and go deeper. And not just show up and dress everything up and make everything as awesome as we can. And, and you know, we want to represent God well and make it all exciting. And what we wind up with is the overstimulated, underdeveloped church of the Western world that we're living in today. And the Lord doesn't want us to live our lives overstimulated and underdeveloped. He wants us to be well-developed, rooted and, and founded sacrificially in the way we pursue the Lord our God. And so that's what we want to do, is honor Him and honor His Word, even in the way we gather in our worship. Um, and I will mention to you, these books are available. You can see Yexi out there. If you didn't get those last week, we had a number of people asking if they could get books for their friends and coworkers or family. Um, and we basically bought enough for all of you. You can get these on Amazon for like $5 if you want to buy more. Um, but we, I th think we ran out last week, so we did get a couple more boxes. We have more. If you didn't get these, please feel free. They're the same book. Uh, the black one has lines. The pretty one doesn't have lines. It's for more creative mind that doesn't have to have lines and draw straight. Today we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 1. And I just want to say uh, the Lord's deepening our love and appreciation for His Word. In this hour of the church, part of what He's restoring. I'm really, 
I'm very excited about what I'm sensing as I'm evaluating where we're going. And I believe each uh, week the Lord's going to reveal another piece of what he's addressing in the Western World Church to help rebuild the ruins. Uh, I do want to just say loud and clear, we love the church. We are not against the church. We are not church bashers. We're not going to abandon the church Um, There was a season in mine and Tracy's life we had to evaluate with our frustration. We saw what the Bible showed as a blueprint for what Jesus wanted to build as the church. And then we saw that the blueprint didn't resemble the structure in many ways. Has anyone ever wondered about this before? Um, And so what we, Tracy and I had to evaluate, all right, what are we going to do about this? And rather than getting sour or south or frustrated or despondent, we decided to be constructive and loving. And we want to try and help the church become everything God's called the church to become. And that's our, that's our goal. That's our job. That's why we not only work with this church family, but with a number of other church families and pastors and leaders and networks. And we want to continue just giving ourselves wholeheartedly to serving the body of Christ in this hour of our lives. How I many you know that's a beautiful thing for every one of us to really give ourselves to? She ain't perfect, uh, but she's worth loving. How many of you agree? <clears throat> I could make a joke, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just going just gonna to move right on. Today we're going to talk about conquering indifference, and we see that in Nehemiah chapter 1. So we're just going to look at Nehemiah chapter 1. In the opening verses, we read uh, how Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king. That means he had job security. As long as the king remained in power, he had a good job. Uh, unless he sipped some poison wine and then his job was over because his life would end. But that was the job of the cupbearer, was to make sure that the king would live and not die. And that meant that he was very close to the king. He was very connected to the king. He was very conversational with the king. You weren't a cupbearer unless you were handsome, you were politically savvy, you could have some interaction and conversation on a very, um, very deep level with royalty. Uh, and so his job was very, very secure. But there was something that happened in Nehemiah's life, even in his comfortable life, where his heart began to be burdened by that which troubled God. Now, I want you to try and translate when we're talking these things into today's modern day world, because we do tend to live very comfortable lives. Can I get an amen? It's a reality. We live very comfortable lives. But even in the midst of great comfort and seemingly security that we have, Our hearts need to be burdened by that which troubles God. And I believe the Western world church lies in what I would describe as functional ruins. It exists. We know it's there. Uh, Some things are happening. But I'm not going to go into all the depressing statistics, but there are a lot of them. The church is in decline. You you just need to know that. The church as we know it is in decline. People are, are tired of the spectacular shows that churches put on for the sake of building the empire of the church. It's never been God's plan for man to build church. It's always been God's plan for Jesus to reserve the only right. He said, on this rock of Revelation, I will build my church. Revelation is the fundamental, foundational element upon which the church is built. You are actually not supposed to just show up and be inspired by a motivational speaker week after week. You are supposed to be men and women who walk with God. You will all be taught by God. All your children will be taught by God. You 
you will be awakened in your everyday, seven day a week, 24 hour a day. Wake up with the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Walk through the course of the day, prompting of the Holy Spirit, maneuvering you, your job, your all of the things that God's called you to do actually should be Spirit-led forces in your life as your way of life. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. You actually can commune with God while you're asleep as your spirit is interacting with God. Do you understand who you really are? Because we've not been taught this in the Western world church. We've just been appeased and accommodated and invited and, and entertained in many ways. But I just say God is taking us from entertainment to encounter, from presentation to presence. And he's wanting us to understand that's his plan as our everyday way of life. And so Nehemiah, in his state of comfort, was burdened and troubled. And I just want to say this loud and clear. We need an awakening. <laughs> We need an awakening. You and I need it. How many know the world needs an awakening? Anybody looked around the world lately and thought, oh man, look at the world. I'm going to caution you because I'm going to start correcting. Uh, people that are coming up to me telling me how awful the world is. The world's never been this bad. I'm going to start correcting you to understand something. I'm, 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 I'm telling you up front because I want to be polite about it. But when somebody tells me how bad the world is, I'm simply going to remind them that darkness is only dark when there's an absence of light. And you and I are the light of the world. The problem in the world is not an abundance of darkness. The problem in the world is the absence of light. We don't just need an awakening in the world. We need an awakening in the church. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. You become everything God's called you to become and the world will begin to change. Stop blaming the bad people. They can come to know Jesus. If we'll pray, if we'll believe God for an atmosphere to shift the atmosphere of God's kingdom to invade the earth, that's the plan for us as the church. What the problem is, you know, Nehemiah, and again, as you read this chapter, I'm going to give you the overview conversation as we walk through these chapters. I'll give you a piece of it I'm about to read and point to specifically. But Nehemiah was born into a day where what he had known only was what had existed prior to his being born. Therefore, that's all he ever knew. So he didn't imagine anything better because it's just what he knew. This is much like you and I. We were born into that which exists, and we can't necessarily imagine something more. But how many know the Great Awakening is a part of the history of humanity? A variety of revivals have taken place all over the world throughout all the ages. There are issues and circumstances and historical evidences of courtrooms going completely silent because crime in entire societies absolutely stopped because people got saved and stop doing bad things. I mean, do you understand? This can happen. And we have to begin to see the Lord wants to establish and rejuvenate and restore much of what exists as ruins. We stop blaming others. We become who God's called us to become. And we take responsibility as the sons and daughters of God on the earth. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 3 and following. <clears throat> Nehemiah and his comfortable position now has a conversation with people who are telling him what he already knew to be true but suddenly the perspective of God was awakened within his heart around this reality that existed Lord would you just help us understand I just feel like I'm talking so far out of my mind 
I sense the eternal nature of God trying to crack the code within us and break into our lives. And it's our surrender and our availability that allows you, Lord, to reach into us and illuminate things within us that cause us to know things that maybe we already knew from an entirely new perspective that's born from your perspective. So help us, Lord, to see that, I pray, in Jesus' mighty name. Starting verse 3, chapter 1, they said to me, things are not going well. <laughs> don't, don't misunderstand. <laughs> things are not going well. God has to move in the hour in which we live in order for us to move into what he desires for us to possess. Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down I wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Now, before I go on, I just want to say the ruins of the city were common knowledge. But Nehemiah took personal responsibility as God began to awaken something within him for what was going on in the world around him. Will you do that? Are you willing to move beyond your comfort zone? Because I'm talking about loving, serving, giving, sacrificially seeing God's kingdom expand in a way that the world begins to change. Like literally, that is our assignment in the earth. And so these are the things he did. He sat down, he wept, he mourned, and he fasted and prayed. Did you catch that progression? First, he sat down. The question is, will we slow down in our fast pace of life to pay attention to the things that really matter to God? Will you? I'm going to ask you a yes or no question. Will you say out loud yes or no? Will you slow down and learn to pay attention to the things that really matter to God? Help us, Lord. Yes. He wept. He wasn't just touched by it. But he was moved. He wept about the things that mattered to God. Are we touched by the things that really matter to the heart of God? He mourned. This was a deep sense of feeling what God was feeling in that moment. Do you feel what God feels about that irritating neighbor or coworker? Do you feel what God feels? Do you, do, you, do you take the time to slow down enough to pay attention rather than just dismissing them, paying no consideration at all that this is a great opportunity for you to grow and love someone that is unlovable perhaps? Are you willing to be touched in a way in your own heart that you feel what God feels? And then fourthly, he, fast and he, he fasted and he prayed. And the question is, are we willing to be part of the solution? Because the solution actually is for us to address the spiritual climate of what's taking place in the world around us so that then whenever 
whenever we do shift the earthly governments, are you hearing what I'm saying? When we shift the earthly governments, the heavenly governments have been aligned. And when those two come into agreement, heaven comes to earth and God's kingdom invades our world and begins to transform things mightily. It's not just the work we do in the earth. I'm glad we do work in the earth and we need to do work in the earth. But first and foremost, God created the heavens and then He created the earth. It's the practical and the spiritual coming together. You and I are called the salt of the earth. And the practical and the spiritual are, are well demonstrated in the essence or idea of salt. Salt is sodium chloride. Sodium alone will kill you. Chloride alone will kill you. But without sodium chloride combined in your system, you would die. The practical alone does not bring life. The spiritual alone does not bring life. But the spiritual and the practical coming together where we actually break a spirit of poverty off of a community and then we put food in the hands of those in need. We see then the spiritual realm around them being transitioned and naturally they're helped as well. This is what we're to understand and comprehend in the way we address things. The person that you work with that maybe you struggle with, uh, you actually need to address spiritually the realm around them and then begin to enact personal acts of kindness. Both of those together will begin to transform the situation and anybody can be reached by God. I, I like... Well, let's finish reading first. Verse 5. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. I want you to pay attention to his prayer. We need to learn something from the prayer of Nehemiah, the way he prayed. He's made aware of the problem, and what does he do? He goes right into a place of praise. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. So here Nehemiah is moved by that which burdens the Lord. He responds in a place of prayer and, and I like, you know, Tracy a few years ago actually spoke about Nehemiah on a Sunday. And, um, and she pointed out that E is actually the symbol for energy. And so emotion is energy in motion that helps us get moving. Like sometimes some of us are touched about, you know, the children really need to be reached. And so that's the energy that gets set into motion, and we work in kids' ministry. Other people, they are touched. If we can just impact the worship atmosphere, and, and you have this gift to sing, or this gift to play an instrument, or you, you understand the, the power of technology, and what it is to be behind a camera, or run a system in the back, or in the cave, back in the very back. Uh, we're sending the signal out, and we're interacting. I mean, whatever it is that moves, do you understand that which concerns you actually becomes a clue to your call? See, this is the problem. We've not trained the church to be mature enough to address their concerns, so their concerns become their complaints because they never get constructive with their concern. And then we just raise up a bunch of spoiled brat. God's kids, 
who just complain about stuff. And like I had somebody come to me and they, they told me, we, I, when I first accepted, yep, we'll, Tracy and I will be the pastor, you know, we'll lead the charge. Like I was the pastor, I was the youth pastor, I was the worship leader, I was the master's commission director, and I was the graphics design person. I mean, you get the picture. And, and, and like I was doing all this and I had somebody come up to me and they said, Pastor, man, our, our graphics here are really bad. I cussed. <laughs> Just in my heart. It didn't come out. <laughs> but they were right. Because I wasn't gifted by God to do what they were seeing done on the next level of where God was taking us. Guess who had the gift? to help with the need that they began to notice because that which concerned them was a clue to their call. I just think we need more of this going on in the church. I agree. I'm glad you noticed. What concerns you is a clue to your call. And mature sons and daughters actually learn to make a difference when they see there is a need rather than merely just complain. We need you to get involved. Energy in motion. See, the ambitious nature of the human heart is fully capable of being passionately activated for that which is good or that which is bad. How many of you are highly gifted complainers when you want to be? Can I just say? I mean, you get motivated. Energy gets set in motion. Something gets awakened. And all of a sudden, like you are on the phone with this Cox representative. And this is, I mean, this, is, this has happened in our house. One of our girl's parents, I won't mention her name, but she has really gone wild on the phone with the Cox representative saying, listen, you've got to get somebody out here right now. I don't remember exactly what she said, so I won't quote her right now. But she was very energetic and spirited. <laughs> my, my question is simply, how are you stewarding what God is stirring within your own heart and life? We've had communion before and then, like there wasn't enough communion. It, too, too many of you came, all right? <laughs> And, and like that probably really frustrated some people. But do you understand the constructive response to not seeing enough communion is to say in the office, hey, can I help provide communion on the days that we do a church-wide communion? Like how beautiful would that be? Like to actually try to become a part of the problem, a, a solution to the problem. I mean, it's really just amazing. Nehemiah, uh, he, what you'll see as we read the book, and I hope you're doing this progressively, but Nehemiah prays throughout the book. There's like thir 13 chapters. I think he prays 14 times in just these 13 chapters. So he's very prayerful in his approach. He's not just planning, though there's a lot of planning to be involved. We talked a little bit about this last week. Praying people need to plan more. Planning people need to pray more. But Nehemiah is constantly praying. He's in this prayerful disposition. Um, yesterday, it was interesting. Tracy came home and she brought something for Lexi, uh, like a supplement, and she put it down beside her and said, hey, I think these will really uh, help with something, you know, your iron level or whatever it was. Okay, if I share all that? That's great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
Boy, sometimes I get in trouble. But <clears throat> anyway, the, the bottle was put down by Lexi, and Lexi later said to me she felt the Holy Spirit prompt her to pay attention to the ingredients because within the ingredients actually is something she was allergic to. And when she picked it up, she read it, she realized it, and she said, I felt like the Lord. Do you understand? That's just prayerful, normal, Christian way we ought to be walking. Are you in a place, like, turn the page, you know, every day, open your Bible, start in the book of Genesis, put the day at the top of the page, just spend time with the Lord, don't just read the book, sit with the author. How many times do you hear me say all this stuff? Like, sit with the author, pay attention, just learn, practice interaction with God in your place of prayer. He begins to awaken something in the way you walk out your faith every single day. Nehemiah, when he prayed, he, he didn't start with the problem. You, you saw that, right? He said, oh, great and mighty God. He prayed. There was a problem presented. He was mourning. He was weeping. He was moved. But what did he do? He didn't just start by praying the problem. This has convicted me personally uh, since we started in this. And I've realized my tendency every morning when I get into a place of prayers, I've got these things that I pray specifically and I'm believing God for. I have not started with, oh, great and mighty God and all eternity who created the heaven and the earth. I haven't started with praise. I've more so started with problem. But Nehemiah doesn't start with problems. He starts with praise. And then I thought, you know what? Jesus said, when you pray, what are you supposed to say? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So I'm seeing a model prayer here that actually is demonstrated by Nehemiah. I want to encourage you in your time of seeking the Lord, will you start by praising God? Don't start by rehearsing problems. How many know the problems have power in your life? They do. And we understand and we believe in the power of problems to get you down. We understand it. But we believe there's an even greater power, the power of God, to pick you up and take you past whatever it is you may be facing. So we want to start there. We want to start in the presence of the Lord, rejoicing in Him, understanding that true restoration in the body of Christ, true restoration in the church of our day, of our generation, God wants to restore the church of our generation. You and I are a part of restoring the church of our generation. This is huge. And all of this starts with a humble heart that comes before God. It begins in a posture of humility and says, God, you're God. And I'm not. And we've not had that in the essence of our very um, capable society. We've accomplished things for the Lord. Come on, Lord. Give me more followers and I'll represent you more. Give me some more Instagram clicks and I'll tell people about Jesus. If, if I can just increase then he will begin to increase. That is not what the Bible says. It says, I must decrease that he may increase. We're starting with the wrong presupposition that actually is errant when we think God's going to you know, do stuff for us so we can tip our hat to him. True restoration begins with a humble heart acknowledging our need for God's grace. The heart of restoration seeks God's purposes above our personal ambitions, even if our personal ambitions are really, really good. <laughs> Nehemiah's cry is not just for the physical rebuilding, but for the spiritual restoration. 
And the ruins left people in a place of spiritual deficiency. Just keep trying to think in terms of the day we live in. This is all applicable. But the spiritual ruins that existed left people in a place where they were not centrally devoted to the constant public gathering and reading of the Word of God. It just wasn't a priority. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, we have so much going. Your walls are broken down. And you're giving your children spiritually deficient walls in the essence of your walk with God, their walk with God, your spiritual legacy. Just so busy. Just This, this is not about gathering when it's convenient. And, and I'm not trying to harp on you to get you to come to church. The Bible just says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. We should gather sacrificially. You know, we, our elders, we're going to have a lunch meeting today, and there's some things that we're going to talk about. And one of the things we've communicated to our elders is, look, if you're not going to come to church some Sunday, you're not going to make it, just let us know and tell us why. It's just this relational accountability. And, and this is fair. I don't want to go to church today because I just need a little downtime. This is, just, this is not a good thing to be telling you right now. That actually was, not too long ago, something one of our elders shared in our group. And do you know what happened? We said, man, take some time. I, I'm simply saying to you, this is not about legalism. It's about honesty. It's about transparency. It's about relationship. Now, if you say that multiple times, we probably need to have a conversation about the condition of your soul. Do you understand the difference? Not this is the rule. But we should be sacrificial about our pursuit of God. We should be sacrificial about serving. We should be sacrificial about giving. We should be sacrificial about the work of God expanding in the earth. That should just be the nature of Christians because it is the nature of Christ being formed within us as Christians. Our patterns instill our priorities in the hearts of our children. Not, not our rhetoric. Our patterns. What is your lifestyle? What is the pattern of your life? That's what will be instilled in the hearts of your children. Um, I've got this picture I want you to take a look at. And it was when we first started with kids, uh, I adopted a, a student. That's Lottie on my left shoulder. And that's Lexi, our daughter, on my right shoulder. And those are eyes in my eye, if you can't see. Uh, and so Lottie was a second grader. And that's Lottie and her sister Lovey on the right side over there when she graduated from high school. And Lottie sent this beautiful letter. And she said, thank you so much for helping me learn how to read. I have been on the honor roll all through school since we went through WizKids and we were a part of just getting getting some help in knowing how to read. How many know that is just beautiful? It's a beautiful thing. And then, like, Lottie and Lexi were both in the second grade, and then Lexi grew up and graduated high school, and Lexi became a whiz kids tutor. Because she saw that and experienced that, and, and here's, here's what whiz kids is, just so you understand. Like, there's a, we, we're thankful that we have Destiny Christian School. We're thankful for the schools that are represented here. But you've got to understand, not very far from here is a place called Crooked Oak School. 
And Cricket Oak actually has an 80% dropout rate. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. 80% of the children that go to Cricket Oak actually drop out of school. And the primary reason is illiteracy. So I, we just hope that God does something for them. Woo, Lord, help them. Faith without action is dead. So we're going to drive over and pick up second graders, and we're going to bring them here every Thursday. After they get out of school, we bring them here, we give them food, we love them well, we share Christ with them, and we read books together and help them increase their literacy level, and they graduate from high school and send us letters and say, I'm, I've graduated on the honor roll. Eighty percent of the people dropped out. I graduated on the honor roll. Come on, this is the kingdom of God at work in the earth where you and I are working. Are you moved by what I'm saying? Is this a burden in your heart? Because there's a table back here. And at the conclusion today, then you'll be able to step back and find out more details to be a part of this particular ministry. And I just wanted to bring it in a back-to-school focus where we understand you and I are actually supposed to be a part of the solutions in society helping people go further than they would go if it were not for the church. I am fed up with churches in communities that you could extract the church out of the community and the community would never even know they were gone. That's awful. Like, we're to be a transforming agent in society. Now, don't let this be a crushing blow of condemnation. I appreciate your applause and your amens and your celebration, but that is not enough. Some people have to sign up to help with things like this. And so Katie Baffrey will be back there when we conclude right there in this room. Don't go out here looking for it there. It's right here. The lights are on it. You'll see it. But if you just want to know more about it, this is not, I, look, we don't need all of you to do this. We only need about 20 people. If all of you do it, then some of you are misappropriating the very thing you're supposed to be stewarding. What's in your heart? This is the key. We want you to know who you are. We don't want you to help us be who we think we ought to be. We want to be who God's called us to be. And you have a gifted life on purpose. Discover your assignment and fulfill your God-given destiny by walking this out. By the way, this is the essence of discover destiny. And that happens to be next, one week from today, right after the service. Those of you who aren't engaged, aren't involved, this is actually a great sermon to, to pitch this. But if, you're, if, if you've been attending here and you've not found your way in, I encourage you to go through Discovering Destiny again. If you're, first, if you're new here and you want to kind of discover more, how, do we, how does this all work as the church? Like, are, am I really a part of what we're supposed to become? The answer is yes, and we want to walk that out with you. And so we'll have a brief meeting right after service one week from today so that you can find out how to get more involved, get more connected, <clears throat> and integrate the gifts that you carry into the world around you. So mark that down. Let us know if you're going to come. And I think the Judds are going to be providing filet mignon and everything. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> There's actually no food. It's just a brief meeting, and then we'll send you off to lunch.
Ah. Things are going pretty well today, wouldn't you say? I refill the presence of the Lord. That's, that's all that matters to me. When I stand up here and open this, I, I'm really rapidly moving far beyond the concern with will you like me or will you like what I say. I just want His presence. <laughs> and I want you to become everything God's designed you to be as sons and daughters of God that actually carry the transforming power of eternity into the temporal world everywhere we work, everywhere we walk, everywhere we shop. And I believe that the broken walls of the church actually speak of the spiritual state of humanity in the day in which you and I live. And I, for one, am here to say we are going to give the next generation church more to work with than the previous generation church even gave us. I'm not complaining about the previous generation church. I'm simply saying we are here, we are now, and we are going to make a difference. This is who God's called us to be. The baton is going to be passed and there's going to be people serving God well beyond our lives. And I encourage you to understand this, this means we need to be strong theologically. The book needs to be open. You, you need to understand that you can trust the reliable Word of God. This is the inerrant, infallible Word of God. And we have a lot of teaching to help you understand just how foundational this, this truth is. I mean, there's tons of it out there. But, but understand, this Word of God has to be first and foremost. And our, our children need to understand that. And, and it needs to be the standard we come back to over and over and over. When we're trying to decide what to do and decisions to make, does, number one, does it line up with the Word of God? We need to give our, our children, the, the next generation church, we need to give them a strong church theologically. We need to give them a strong church relationally. You and I are created in the image of Trinity God. We're created in the image of community God. Like community is a part of our design. I'm sorry, but if you're just flying solo and you're not finding your way in to get connected in the body of Christ, then you are missing out on something God desires for you to possess. And, and you're, you need to contribute to what it means to give the next generation church a strong church family, not only theologically, but also relationally. And we need to give the, the next generation church a strong church theologically, relationally, and financially. I, I debated uh, to share this because it's kind of a, a just praying into it. But, but first, I want to encourage you, be faithful with your tithes. Be faithful with your offerings. Tithing and giving has always been a part of worship in the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't do away with it. He came to fulfill it, and he said, you should not neglect the tithe. His words. This is important that you understand. This is not just an Old Testament law thing. It happened before the law. Abraham Melchizedek, before the law ever came, tithe was a part of the kingdom. And so giving a, a portion of your income as a worship expression to the Lord, not just when it's convenient, but sacrificially, I'd like to get a few more amens out of this right now. I mean, I understand this is not a popular topic to talk about, but let me, just, let me just give you a concept. I heard about a ministry. A patriarch individual donated $500,000 to their ministry. Now, some people steward that type of finance. And I'll just say this. For those that steward higher levels of finance, it's more difficult for you to figure out what the sacrificial nature of giving really looks like. It's just different. But this individual gave $500,000 to a ministry 
that, that he really believed in. And out of that $500,000 put in an 8% interest-bearing account produced $40,000 a year to go into that ministry, and it could have just done that for until the cows come home, whatever that actually means. I don't know. But you understand the 500000 never gets touched, and the 40000 annual keeps on perpetuating into that ministry. But what they did is actually took that 40000 and they applied that principle to an insurance policy on this patriarch individual, a life insurance policy, to the tune of $4 million. So the $500,000 paid the premium for the insurance until that person graduated and went to heaven. And then there was $4.5 million paid into that ministry that generated that 8% income. And that then gave $30,000 a month or $360,000 every year for the life of that, of that um, investment way beyond that individual's life. Have I, have I lost you or do you understand what I'm saying? Like this is mind-boggling. And this is not something like if somebody were to say, we're going to do that at Destiny. Like, that doesn't really help me here and now. But what it does is positions us to make a difference in the next generation church. And five generations from now, there's somebody that's going to be saying, we got $300,000 every year that we've got to spend in helping people in our community and giving away to missions. And how are we going to spend this money to see God's kingdom expand? What a great problem to give the next generation church. I just want to say, use your skill set, whatever your skill set is, sacrificially to see God's kingdom expand. Worship team, if you would come. Your action point during this season of time is just, would you read two chapters of Nehemiah every single day? And that way, in the course of the week, we're reading the book. There's a lot for us to learn as we walk through this week after week, chapter after chapter. And it parallels, I believe, very, uh, very uniquely to the church world in which you and I live. The spirit of, me- of Nehemiah is coming upon the body of Christ. Listen to what I'm saying with something more than just your natural ears. The spirit of Nehemiah is coming upon the body of Christ. And this indifference is being conquered in Jesus' mighty name. People are going to be awakened to the eternal purposes of God. Chapter 2, the favor of God is going to begin to rest upon them because sacrificially position ourselves so that we then can be entrusted with all kinds of favor that will rest upon our lives and the kingdom of God will begin to expand in profoundly significant ways. Can you be trusted with more of what God desires to place on your life to give you favor to take you places? You've never even dreamed you could go to rebuild things you never even thought could be restored. Are you serving Jesus today? Most important question. Jesus came, he lived, he died, he's risen from the grave, he's the Savior of the world. Jesus didn't die so you could merely go to church. He died so that you would accept his invitation to move from death to life yourself and learn what it is to walk with Jesus as Lord every single day, everywhere you go. Number one, have you given your life to Christ? Number two, are you loving the church 
the way Jesus loves the church? Are you involved and are you engaged? Or is church just one of the clubs you're a part of, one of the associations you have, one of the connections you make because some nice people you've connected with? Are you really finding your place to discover the burden God placed within you and leave the world around you transformed as a result? Like the five-foot circle. We talk about the five-foot circle. Everywhere I go, five-foot circle of my life exists. No matter where I am, there's a five-foot circle that exists. We want to help mobilize you to that. And so that's what the Discovering Destiny is all about as we help people step into that. So one, do you know Christ? Two, are you walking with the church the way the Lord wants you to walk with the church? And, and three, you may not realize it, but in just a couple of weeks, we're going to be doing a worship and baptism night. Water baptism is really important. Jesus demonstrated water baptism. It's so important. He did it. And then he commissioned us to go and baptize people. <laughs> like It's a really important part of your life. Don't, don't be confused. Water baptism is not a requirement for salvation. But don't dismiss it when Jesus did it to demonstrate it and commissioned us to go for it. Like You need to be baptized in water. You accept Christ. You just follow him in baptism. The Israelites came out of the bondage of Egypt and that which had held them captive for generations perished in the water that day. This is not just symbolism. There is something of serving notice on these demonic entanglements that have been generations in my upline that will be broken in my life and will never get to my kids or my grandkids when I pass through those waters. That which held my parents and grandparents captive in Egypt when I came through the water, the Red Sea, they all died behind me in the water. It's a powerful reality. I've had people say, well, I didn't really have all those big entanglements. There's a second time the Israelites go through water, and it's when they were going through the Jordan to a greater place of promise. Maybe God's inviting you. It's time. It's your season. Step into a greater place of promise. That Maybe if you didn't understand it the first time you went through, this was your second time to go through. But I encourage you to understand this is significant. Holy Spirit, I just know you're at work in this room, and I pray that you'd stir in our hearts to be responsive to God above all else. In Jesus' mighty name. Just let's all stand together. We invite you, Holy Spirit. Have your way. Have your way, Lord. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In our hearts as it is in heaven. <laughs> if you acknowledge Jesus is Lord, He died on the cross for your sins, whether you've prayed the prayer before or not is irrelevant. I want everybody in this room who says, Jesus is Lord, He's my Savior. I want you to just lift both your hands in a place of surrender, however high you, you don't mind just lifting their hands. Lord, we surrender today. Some of us have been doing this for many years as we learn the Lordship of Christ. Some of us, maybe this is the first moment where we say, I truly accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of my life. I want to serve the Lord my God with all my heart. Come on, if that's your prayer and confession today, would you say out loud, real loud, Amen. <clears throat> if you've not been where you need to be in your relationship with the church, 
then I want to encourage you today as a spiritual act of service to the Lord your God, then take this Connect card in the seat back in front of you and write on there, Discover Destiny, put your info, drop it in a giving station. I don't think I ever mentioned giving, how to give. People fuss at me because I don't remember all the time to talk about this, but would you put up how to give just so everybody can see. You can give in the giving stations, you can give online. If you're giving, if you if you need to step forward in this, then I just encourage you. Let's see God's kingdom expand. Can I get an amen? The Lord wants to stir something and awaken his kingdom in the earth. If you're interested in baptism, this is the way to do that as well. Just the connect card and whoever closes will reiterate that for us. I want to introduce to you our elders just as we conclude in a, a brief time of worship. Our elders are available to pray with you. If I, if you come as I call your name, Jim and Diana Howard, Jason and Heather Shiflett, Ryan and Gina Perry, Derek and Crystal Wilson, Dave and Lauren Fulford, By the way, that's Tracy, my wife. I called Derek and Crystal, and my wife walks with that man, and I just want to make sure there's no confusion in the church. I don't know what you're thinking, Derek. You better watch yourself. Wade and Jennifer Moore. <clears throat> He's a good, good God. I just want to say of these folks, they are wonderful people who've served the Lord for many years with whole hearts solid individuals who really care about the kingdom of God expanding in the earth and we want to serve this family well so just as we take a few moments in worship I know we've gone just a little long but could we just fulfill our assignment of gathering today just a little bit longer just in worship if there's anything we can pray with you about anything we can agree with you about if you made a decision today to accept Christ would you come and let us pray with you make sure you have a Bible in your hand before you walk out of here we just want to open up the altars just for a few moments of just worship and prayer um, that our elders are available to you if there's anything at all that we can agree with you on. Come on, let's press in and worship wholeheartedly.